This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Stephen Miller is coming up soon. Uh, you know, he's with the Trump administration, the guy that lasts all four years, as well as the preamble called uh, the campaign. He's a senior advisor to the president, and it must be just killing him to see everything overturned in executive order that they can with the Biden people. And at the bottom of the arrow, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. I give credit to the governor of Texas, who is pushing back against big tech, who is deplatforming all these uh, right wing election officials or these newspapers, whether it's Parler or Gateway Pundit. Look, I just got on Parler two weeks ago. There's no way that was worse than Twitter. And Gateway Pundit, I read that stuff. A lot of times I don't use it. Sometimes it just makes me want to go into other stories and find out, uh, go in more depth. Why are you banning it? So that's got to stop, especially individuals like the President of the United States. He is suing big tech, and uh, like Florida did. And in turn, I got to get Lieutenant Colonel Alan West on that because he's chairman of the Republican Party of Texas. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. For example, Del Rio, they're up from 2,476 in the week before Biden's inauguration. The last week, 5,699 apprehensions. You know, that's all along the border. Agents that I've spoken to describing people literally just running past them. Do you see what's going on here? Doesn't it just kill you to see this happening at our border during a pandemic? Pandemic legitimizing illegitimate immigration. Now it's easier, easier to commit a crime, get in, and stay here. The insane rules coming from Joe Biden's geniuses at the White House. Number two. It may be the case that uh, the Democrats are waking up to the possibility that this impeachment trial will not redound to their political credit because much of the country will not really see the point in trying to convict a man and remove him when he's already gone. Brit Yu makes it all seem so sensible. Impeachment circus kicks off today. The rules, the game plans, and how it all ends for President Trump and his party. Number one. This can be done. Provided that the capability of keeping the children and the teachers safe, namely wearing of masks. And obviously you have a, a lot of serious discussions going on between the teachers union and the officials of the city and the states. Does he ever say anything of value? COVID-19, will they ever get it? School shutdown supply never ending pain for kids as unions hold out and stay out of public schools in major cities. Plus the latest on our unaffordable rescue plan as it makes its way through the Democratic D.C., which we now know as our nation's capital. 
So let's talk about the lockdown. I was just fascinated to see Anthony Fauci on with Brett Baer, and he knows there's rules to open up schools. He's pretending like there isn't, and he's pretending he doesn't want to play politics. Just answer the question. We should be able to open up schools. If the ventilation system is fine, if the distancing has taken place, if the protocols are done, which have been on the CDC website forever, modify it if you want. Let us know that you did, and it could be done. They're doing it in my t- uh, in my town of Long Island. They are doing it in many suburban communities and not in others for some mysterious reason, like in certain areas outside Pittsburgh. So Anthony Fauci and and Joe Biden, you love this idea of a national mass mandate and 100 days to stop the spread and all this stuff. Why not make a national push to open up schools? And if not, they should report to you what's holding them up. We all know the answer. It's unions. And it should be kids first. Kids first, get them in school. Very simple. Dr. Ronnie Jackson, who's seen it all, is a doctor in the White House, now a congressman in Texas. Cut four. It's kind of shameful right now, but President Biden's really being manipulated by the teachers union right now. They own the president to some extent. The the relationship between the, the Democrats and the teachers union is pretty incestuous, and it's all about money. And there's going to be a ton of money in this $1.9 trillion stimulus package that's pushed out that's going to go directly to the teachers union. So I, I wrote Allison last night, uh, Ryan Jackson, so on the money. He's going to be a great congressman, and he's, he's only there a month. Dr. Anthony Fauci's on with Brett. So we know the CDC director came out and said that you should be able to open up schools. And then when Jen Psaki, the press secretary, was asked that, she was speaking for herself. Really? Are you in your professional capacity or yourself? So if I could see, if I got stopped outside a restaurant, maybe I'm not speaking for Fox, but if I'm on the air with a microphone, I'm speaking for more than myself. Fox employs me. So if you're the CDC director in a press conference answering questions, what do you mean she's speaking for herself? So Dr. Fauci decides to do Brett show. And tell me if this doesn't drive you nuts. Cut three. And just to be clear, you're not speaking in a personal capacity. You're speaking as, as the job that you do, right? I mean, we had the White House come out and say that the CDC director saying almost exactly what you said was speaking in a personal capacity, not an official guidance. But this is going to be the official guidance, is it not? Well, I, you know, the official guidance, Brett, is coming out literally imminently, very likely this before the end of this week. So I think it would be important rather than trying to get different opinions of it, let's see what the guidance shows, and then we could all discuss about the various aspects of the guidance. But it will be coming out, I, I'm, I'm almost certain, before the end of the week. Okay, here's the deal. Do you know in an oral report, maybe it wasn't you, but maybe your friends don't prepare, and you got to go in front of the class, you don't really know, so you use a lot of big words and you drag things out in order for the teacher to say, well, he was up there for 20 minutes or she was up there for 20 minutes. It didn't give me a lot of substance, but enough. But everybody knows you're be, being BSing. Either he knows the answer, he doesn't want to get Joe Biden in trouble. He had no problem getting Trump in trouble. But he has problems with getting Joe Biden because remember how much he loves Rachel Maddow's show and he wasn't allowed to go on. It was the bane of his existence. Do you believe this? So listen to what led to that exchange. Cut to. You know, I, I think as what you heard Dr. Walensky say, that, that this can be done provided that the capability of keeping the children and the teachers safe, namely wearing of masks, having the resources to be able to arrange the classes so that you have uh, appropriate spacing, uh, the kinds of things that are common public health issues can be done. But obviously, you have a, a lot of serious discussions 
going on between the teachers union and the officials of the city and the states you that t- you just mentioned. So the, uh, it's such. You, here's the question. Do you need to get vaccinated as a teacher in order to come to class? The answer is no, because we're already back in class in many portions of this country without vaccinations. And some of these teachers are going to choose not to because maybe they're 30 years old and they don't feel they're susceptible or they're worried because the studies haven't been done about uh, women and pregnancy and things to that nature. I totally understand it. They can come back. They know they're extremely low risk. Life is full of risks. So I got to give credit to these parents in this Pennsylvania area right outside Pittsburgh who decided to take a survey of their kids and just say, what is it like in a hybrid learning environment where most of the time you're at home? And listen to what they said. Here's just a sample. We put a lot of work into practicing, and it feels like we did it for nothing. That about students being in clubs and sports. Another student, I feel so disconnected from myself and from my friends. I don't have motivation or passion for anything. Can you imagine this? At a time in high school, the good and the bad, it gives you a passion. Well, you know, I I wasn't picked for this team. That's a passion. I wanted to make this team, and I made it. That's a passion. I wanted to get an A in that test. That's a goal. I want to get into this school. That's a motivation. Now, can you imagine sitting in your laptop? Maybe you're somebody without a million friends, and you sit to yourself, now this this is the chance for me to flourish. I can't do it. Other student, I feel so. Dis- I feel less connected to my peers. I am not doing any of the things that make high school positive and fun. It's all work and no activities to make the day go by faster and easier. Student and this student X made me feel sad and anxious. So when you're sitting there as a teachers union saying, I feel a little insecure in there, and you know you have no underlying conditions, and you know that you're in pretty good shape, and you know the odds, if you get it, of being susceptible to being hospitalized are extremely low, keep in mind, that's what they're thinking at home. They're not going to get over this, especially high school seniors, not going to get over this, let alone second and third graders or kids with special needs. They're not going to get over this. I just don't understand why people don't see the other side of it. Dr. Mark Siegel does cut seven. Follow the science, said President Biden, but that may not apply to teachers unions, right? So listen, what is the science? It's becoming clearer and clearer every day. The longer schools stay closed, the more mental health problems there are, the more the CDC itself is reporting more visits to mental health urgent care. And then there's this huge study out of North Carolina of 90,000 kids and teachers that showed only 32 cases of COVID and over 770 in the community itself. Clearly, COVID is not spreading in schools the way it is in the community. I couldn't have said it better. Real stats, real life experience, treating COVID patients. So does his wife. At NYU, in New York City, at the epicenter of this whole thing, with an idiot governor and mayor screwing this up royally, just like they're doing in Pennsylvania, just like they're doing in California, just like they're doing in Chicago, and specifically in California, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. So when we come back, uh, Stephen Miller, I'm not going to bother him with this. I know where he stands. I'm going to ask him about immigration. I'm going to ask him what governors can do. So many got in his way when it came to sanctuary cities in these liberal areas. They care more about illegals than they do about their people and the citizens, and that's wrong. What can be done here and the impeachment? And then uh, what's going on in Texas? Lieutenant Colonel Allen West. Cut, uh, and we'll see him in, 30, in 15 minutes. And then back with your calls to finish up the hour. one 408 7669 It's Brian Kilmeade. 
the Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The priority for the enforcement of immigration laws uh, will be on those who are posing a national security threat, of course, a public safety threat, and on recent arrivals. Nobody is saying that DUIs or assault are acceptable behavior, and those arrested for such activity should be tried and sentenced as appropriate by local law enforcement. But we're talking about the prioritization of who is going to be deported from the country. It's crazy. Uh, It's amazing that Jen Psaki and the Biden administration will prioritize something that was working at the border in the middle of a pandemic and loosen everything up, stop building the wall, and then loosen the criteria from people here illegally on why they should be exported out. Guess what? DUI? No big deal. We'll put you in jail. We'll put you to rehab. We're not going to kick you out for that. Sexual assault? Don't worry about it. Stephen Miller, senior advisor to President Trump, has been there every step of the way from the pregame during the campaign uh, to the game and now in the postgame. Stephen Miller, welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's so great to be here. I love the way you said that, pregame, the game, and the postgame. Yeah, I guess we're in the postgame now. We'll talk about yep. uh, impeachment part of that. But first off, this must be on a personal level killing you because how hard you guys worked at the border to get it right. Why do you think they're so determined to undo it and create problems for themselves? So we inherited a mess at the border. Everybody remembers back to the Obama years. And we fixed it using Homeland Security, using the Department of Justice, using the best and brightest lawyers in the whole federal government and making deals with Mexico and Central America. We secured the border. We put the tools in place that our border agents needed to keep America safe. When we left, we had ended catch and release and put in place a suite of enforcement tools that made sure if you showed up at the border illegally, you went home quickly, humanely, and safely. That's what Biden inherited on January 20th, safe, sound, secure. Within two weeks, Brian, they've dismantled the southern border. Two weeks they have a situation now where it's not only mass catch and release happening again, which, which for your listeners means you show up illegally at, say, 10 o'clock in the morning, and by that afternoon, you're 
being dropped off at a bus station in the United States of America. In addition to that, they're not testing for COVID. So if you or I are flying internationally into the United States, we have to get a negative COVID test. But if you want to come here illegally, you just show up at the border and you get released into a U.S. community. That's, that's catastrophic enough, Brian. But on top of it, as you mentioned in your opening, they're also changing the rules for who ICE can remove from the country once they're already here. And those rules mean that criminal illegal immigrants with serious criminal histories get to stay in the country. I'll give you one example that I think will quickly prove the point. Under our administration, we had a priority to remove gang members. We deported 20,000 known gang members from the United States. Under the new Biden rules, you cannot deport somebody for being a gang member. That is not a sufficient condition for being removed from the country. So in, say, let's say in Long Island, a local police department arrests an, arrests an MS-13 gang member, calls ICE and says, hey, can you remove this guy from the country? I pulled him over. He had a machete in the trunk. He had a pound of drugs in the seat next to him, and he's got gang tattoos all over. I think we should send him home. ICE would not be able to pick him up under these new policies. It's crazy. Here's what Lara Logan said. She was just at the border. Here's what she said she saw. Cut 34. For example, Del Rio. They're up from 2,476 in the week before Biden's inauguration. The last week, 5,699 apprehensions. Um, up from known recorded gotaways, up from 924 to 2,106, uh, Dean. So, you know, that's all along the border, more than 50 to 60 to 70 percent increases, not just in the number of apprehensions, but also in the number of known and recorded gotaways. Agents that I've right. spoken to. And, and she, she does all the personal reporting. She's not waiting for the stats. She goes and asks with a pen in her hand. So that's what's happening. Do you think there's a chance, Stephen, that people realize what a problem this is, especially in a pandemic, and and see how bad this is going to turn out. We've seen this movie with Obama. What we're going to need to have happen, honestly, Brian, in my view, having been here for uh, the last four years in the White House, the most effective thing we can do to stop this is for more states to sue the Biden administration. You know, Texas has already filed a lawsuit. Arizona has joined in. But this affects every single state in the country. I mean, it's, as I mentioned earlier, you know, MS-13 gang members, one of, their, one of their primary grounds for committing crimes is the state of New York. But, you know, all states that have pro-law enforcement and pro-law attorneys general should be suing the Biden administration because they are breaking the law. Immigration law is very clear. If you show up to the country legally, right. you're supposed to be returned home. And if ICE arrests somebody who's here illegally, they're supposed to be removed. You can't just turn that off because you want to. You have to go to Congress, and if you want to pass an open borders law, good luck to you because you'll get wiped out in the midterms. But that's the the best thing that can be done right now is to sue the Biden administration because these actions are plainly illegal, and, and they also violate their own CDC guidelines. I mean, could you imagine every single one of us is living all, under all of these very strict coronavirus pandemic guidelines? And yet the only group of people in the country for whom this apparently does not apply are the thousands of illegal immigrants showing up unlawfully at the border. I hear you. They're not wearing masks. They're not not tested for COVID. It's crazy. Yeah, they don't have a rapid test in their pocket. Real quick, on impeachment, how much does it bother the president that he's going through this right now? Uh, And how do you see it turning out? Well, he's, he's just upset for the country. He's upset for the country because he wants America to succeed. 
And this is a huge distraction from the issues that you and I are talking about, Brian, whether it's about recovering from the pandemic, whether it's about rebuilding the economy, or whether it's about stopping mass illegal migration on the southern border. He's upset for the country. It's, it's, it is offensive to human reason, Brian, to suggest that the President Donald Trump engage in any activity to incite the, the horrendous criminal behavior of the 700, the 700 people who engaged in the riotous conduct right. at, the, at the Capitol. It's offensive to human reason to suggest it. No serious person believes that that was what gotcha. occurred. Steve, we'll have and to end it there. Hopefully he will be very Ex- swiftly and well, resoundly acquitted. In- most people believe it will happen on Tuesday. Thanks, Stephen Miller. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. When it is and where it is that they can go for their green job, and that is something the administration has promised, uh, there is now a gap. So I'm just curious when that happens, when those people can count on that. Well, I'd certainly welcome you to present your data of all the thousands and thousands of people who uh, won't be getting a green job. Maybe next time you're here, you can present that. But you said that they would be getting green jobs, so I'm just asking when that happens. Well, uh, the the president and many Democrats and Republicans in Congress believe that investment in infrastructure, building infrastructure, uh, that's in our national interests uh, and that boosts the U.S. economy, creates good-paying union jobs here in America and advances our climate and clean energy goals are something that we can certainly work on doing together. And he has every plan to uh, share more about his uh, details of that plan in the, in the weeks ahead. Here's what strikes me. She was not prepared for that question. To me, it's the immediate question. The day, the second you cancel the XL pipeline, you go, Mr. President, I'm going to have to go out there to the press. They're going to ask me about the 15,000 union jobs that are going to be canceled. So uh, what do you want me to tell them? I don't think they were prepared for the fallout. They weren't prepared for Richard Trumpka, AFL-CIO, to say it was a mistake. And they're not prepared for that follow-up question of there are no green jobs available. How do you not know the answer to that? How could that be efficient? I cut 15,000 jobs at a time in which I'm begging for $1.9 trillion because the, the workplace has been so devastated and not have an answer. We have generic green jobs available whenever. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, chairman of the Republican Party of Texas, senior fellow, Media Research Institute, joins us now. Uh, Colonel, totally unacceptable answer, but aren't you shocked they have no answer? Well, good. it's good to be with you, Brian. But no, I'm not shocked that they have no answer because they have never thought that they had to have an answer. You know, when you, as you just stated, you come in and one of the first things you do uh, as president of the United States of America, you put people out of work. Well, then the obvious question is, well, what are they supposed to do? When you start to decimate the oil and gas industry of the United States of America, you start to undermine our energy independence and you don't have an answer for it. You know, this is not this is Solyndra 2.0 all over again with the the fake, the phony, you know, green energy jobs and things of this nature. But Joe 
Biden is uh, he is owned by the far left and this uh, Green New Deal and all of these things. But why would you decimate the incredible energy industry at a time when we don't need to decimate any more of our industries? We're trying to get our economy growing back and think about the national security ramifications that that has for uh, our country. And no, but they didn't think about that. They just thought about we've got to appease the left. Do you know it's true? And, and Micro talks about it. Uh, and I'll, I'll let him say, and then I followed up with some facts, and it's unbelievable. It is true how much the oil and gas industry puts into green technology. Micro, the dirty jobs guy who knows more blue-collar people than anyone on the planet, cut 37. The irony is undeniable, and it's rich. And one of the things that a lot of people I don't think really understand about the nature of energy is that there is no bigger investor, to my understanding, in alternative fuels than oil and natural gas. So you you can't make those guys the enemy if they are our best hope of facilitating the transition that most reasonable people want. And you know what? I have no problem with Ford making uh, electric cars. I have no problem with Elon Musk, the richest man in America, saying that's where we're going in the future. Because, Colonel, it's the free market. Go ahead. Tell me what's up. Tell me what's next. No one asked me for permission to go from the uh, from the BlackBerry to the iPhone. I reacted to the market. So I, fa- I asked our brain room, I said, is that true? I had no idea that oil and gas is investing in green technologies. And it turns out 10 oil and gas company, major uh, companies, are expected to invest $17.5 billion in wind and solar over the next five years. Most of the outlay will be mm-hmm. spent with just one company, this Rystad Energy. This other company called Equinor, I probably pronounced that wrong, is projected to spend about $10 billion or 57% of the combined $17.5 billion. And Shell Oil will be number one between 2026 and 2030. So they're not stupid. They don't want to be out of a job. They don't want to be behind the eight ball in their industry. No, they don't. And what you just talked about is the diversification of our energy sector, our energy industry. And they are understanding, they're looking at how we can transition away from oil and natural gas and some of these other uh, means of uh, energy production. But you look at Texas. I mean, everyone thinks of Texas, the the incredible oil and and gas industry that we have here, the Permian Basin, the fact that we're the number one exporter of liquefied natural gas in the world coming out of uh, Port Arthur, Texas. But Texas... Texas is also the number one producer of wind energy in the United States of America when you go out to West Texas. But here's the important thing, that wind energy cannot be pushed through the system and distributed out except for what? Natural gas. So here you have the complementary aspect of natural gas working with wind energy to get that uh, that means out there to the to the public. And the other thing is so important: Texas is on its own uh, electrical grid. So here we're showing that incredible relationship, all natural gas, wind energy, how they can all come together. But this is something that is not getting through to the leftist skulls up there in Washington, D.C., definitely not to Jen Psaki and obviously not to the domestic policy advisor, Susan Rice. So I don't understand what's going on on the border now. We have all these fences built, this, this bollard fence. They're all built. We have to pay to destroy them or we have to pay to store them. What as a state Colonel, can you guys do on your own by maybe buying from the federal government and putting it up on your own because it's going to pay off in in manpower you don't need and the technology that surrounds it is going to make everybody safer. Can you buy that from the federal government? 
Well, I don't see why we can't. And, and what you're bringing up is an incredible irony. You look at the, the fencing that now and the barbed wire is around the Capitol, but yet we cannot secure our own borders. Yes, uh, Texas should be able to go out and do that. Texas has the right and the ability to go out and uh, protect its borders. As a matter of fact, I believe it's Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3 or 4 of the Constitution that talks about states being able to protect themselves, repel invasions. That's what the founding fathers call it. That means uh, protecting your borders. Now, what, what we had in the military is something called Operation Control, OPCON. And I don't see why the uh, state of Texas or any other border state cannot look at these resources, these things that are there, and they can take operational yeah. control of these resources and protect their, their border. Uh, because what we see right now from Joe Biden is a complete abdication of securing the border and protecting the citizens in states like Texas. How many jobs, and you might not have the number, but when they talked about not drilling, and I'm not an oil gas guy, but not drilling on federal mm-hmm. land, I understand that people at first thought it was no big deal, but the more they look at it, that's going to be a problem. What kind of problem does that pose to Texas? Well, I, I don't have the exact numbers. I will tell you if it's a bigger problem for New Mexico than it is for Texas because New Mexico has, I think, about 40 to 45 percent of their state, you know, federal land. And that really puts a dent in their ability to go out and produce, uh, you know, the energy and the revenues thereof. But even here in Texas, you know, offshore and then also on the ground where you do have those federal areas, not being able to get that permitting will have an effect on us uh, here in Texas. But I will have to get back with you exactly how much of a percentage of Texas is under federal control as far as permitting. Because, you know, it's not been a great year for oil and gas with the pandemic. People aren't flying or driving. And even in the best of times. So uh, everybody's sucking wind. And now this just is a body blow. So uh, this sheriff of Jackson County in Texas, A.J. Lauterbach, talked about this memo circulating that essentially defangs ICE and doesn't let them arrest people if you're caught DUI or it's, or sexual assault. You go to jail maybe, mm-hmm. but you don't get deported. Here's, uh, here's what he said that memo is done. He told Tucker last night, Cut 29. The memo that uh, I received this last week um, – it's essentially a defund ICE by memo, by memorandum uh, that was sent out by David Pekoski on January 20th of uh, 21. So this is a, a particularly devastating document uh, for Texans and Americans here in the United States. Uh, the message really has been sent uh, when I read it first and looked at it. Um, it's a message to the world. You can come here illegally. You could commit crimes here against Americans and remain here illegally. And that's the way they're doing it. The, the men and women that wear the mm-hmm. uniform, they feel like they have been totally emasculated. Well, this is one of the things that you see coming about uh, in, in that they don't want to come out and, and just say we're going to defund ICE. They're going to undermine ICE. And, you know, the fact is that Joe Biden is trying to do this by executive order, which is totally unconstitutional. This is against our rule of law. And I think that when you look at law enforcement uh, officers and agencies here in the state of Texas, they're going to do what's right to protect their citizens. But this is why you have this movement. And North Dakota has passed this in their state legislature called constitutional nullification, because states are going to 
start asserting the Tenth Amendment. States are going to start looking at these executive orders, these actions that are being taken by the Biden administration, and they're going to just just say, look, if it doesn't, if it's not in concurrence with the uh, Constitution, we're nullifying it. We're not going to do it. You're seeing many Republican uh, attorney generals starting to come together. Ken Paxton so. is one of them. Yeah, uh, uh, Leslie Rutledge up in uh, in Arkansas, uh, over in Kentucky, several others, and they're saying, look, we're not going to sit back and allow you to just steamroll us by executive order here down in our states. So I think this is going to be a great uh, lesson in civics and uh, constitutionalism that the Biden administration is going to be taught. Well, one thing you guys are doing is your governor is suing big tech, saying essentially you cannot deplatform political groups. And Mm -hmm. Florida started that. Texas loves that. And they're taking them up on that. Yeah, that's a great thing. And uh, so, you know, following suit with what Ron DeSantis came out and did last week, but then also North Dakota, we saw their state legislature uh, passing legislation that says that their citizens can sue these big tech uh, corporations. Then also down in Florida, we had legislation talking about divesting their state and uh, retirement portfolios from these big tech corporations. So, yes, uh, this is so important that we have our states that are coming together and standing strong, governors, attorney generals, state legislatures, and they're pushing back on some of these uh, actions. It's really fascist in nature what we see coming from these big tech companies. You know, it really is going to come down to the Republican governors not being unreasonable, but just trying to enforce the laws. But, for example, Democratic Mm -hmm. governors were very effective, sadly, of stopping Trump getting rid of sanctuary cities. They sued him back, but they kept winning, even though it's unconstitutional to allow illegal immigrants to have the rights of citizens and not be able to deport them. It makes no sense. Still, that happened. So with the judges in place, Alan West, do you feel somewhat – a lot of people feel helpless because of what happened in Georgia, your former state, to stop this Mm -hmm. crazy agenda, this anti-American agenda. Do governors realize the pressure on them and the power the attorney generals have? Well, I think they're starting to understand that they have to work together, best practices, lessons learned. They have to find, you know, become a coalition, become a a, a union that, uh, you know, our Constitution talked about, a more perfect union by establishing justice and standing up for justice. And, again, you brought up a great point. All of these Democrat uh, governors were out there doing things that were unconstitutional uh, and, and pushing back. So why can't our governors do things that are constitutional? and push back against what we see coming down from the Biden administration. So I'm encouraged to see some of the things that are happening. Yeah, Ken Paxson got rid of the 100-day stay, so that was pretty cool, at least for now. Uh, So you can deport people for the next 100 days because he went to court, and hopefully the the judge realizes that Biden can't do that, especially in a pandemic. Can someone please look out for us for a change? It's incredible. Uh, Colonel, thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Brian. one 408 When we come back, your calls. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. 1-866-408-7669. Carolyn on WDBO in Orlando. Hey, Carolyn. 
Hi. Good morning, Brian. I love you. I love you. Thank you. um, I'm just wondering, do you think that the Republicans want to do this impeachment thing so that they can kind of display the atrocities of the Democrats? Or do you think they're just trying to kind of sweep it under the rug and make it all go away? I don't think they have a choice. I mean, they don't have no control in the Senate. They have no control in the House, even though the margins are so slim. So it's indefensible. I think the speech was a bad move. I've said it many times. I thought the way the president acted overall, stop the steal and all these things, were counterproductive to whatever he wanted to accomplish. Uh, and now it gives Democrats a chance to tee off. But if any Democrat like Adam Kinzinger or Mitch McConnell thought they were getting any Republican, thought they were getting rid of Trump, forget it. He's got rehabbed almost all the way back. He's still the most powerful Republican. And I think in the end, when they show the counter view, if this if these if this legal team is at all competent and talk about the counter view of what was taking place for the last four years under Trump with the ridiculous things Cory Booker said, Chuck Schumer said, Maxine Waters has said, I think he's going to end up coming out of this stronger. Uh, but right now, it's it's uh, Republicans have got to stand by. They really have no uh, they have no say in this. Thanks so much for the call. Uh, and I look forward to seeing people in Orlando. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Well, the Super Bowl ad called Cure Auto Insurance, which played right at halftime Sunday night, is drawing criticism for, quote, belittling the seriousness of workplace harassment. No kidding. Listen to some of this. Davis, Tommy just brought me into his office and whipped out his opinion. Tommy? I didn't just whip it out. She was into it. Plus, I have a pretty big opinion. Oh, please. It's not that big. She only gave me a second. Tommy? Not everyone in this office wants your opinion. Okay. Well, how about you? Last week at happy hour when you begged me for my opinion. <laughs> I had a picture of margaritas. All right. You get the idea. I could not believe what I heard this. I missed it at the Super Bowl. I played it down the other night. This is unbelievable, right? It's funny, though. Oh, it's great. It's great. Yeah. In, in 1995? Uh, I don't know. I think it's funny. It's refreshing. People need to get over it a little bit. Twitter quickly called out the ad for being offensive. Uh, what the uh, WTF has the tacky mess. Carla, Carla says, wow, okay. Cure Auto Insurance with the fail ad of the decade. That according to Nick Childs. Jeremy writes, Cure Auto Insurance wins the worst Super Bowl advertisement of the evening. Uh, Ian writes, I just saw an ad for Cure Auto Insurance that should never have been approved. But guess what? They're all talking about it, and now Cure Auto Auto Insurance is getting more publicity because of the ad that was, in my opinion, sort of funny. Next, Joe Biden saying something else inappropriate on a virtual vaccination tour. Listen to this. Are you a freshman at the university? No, no. <laughs> I'm te- you look like no. a freshman. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, no, thank you for what you're doing. Yeah, it just looked like he was flirting with her, and he's got this history. I, I think he was just being a cute older man. Granted, he's the president, but I just think, you know, it's a generational thing, and he's trying to be nice. Next. Do you think that's flirting? Yeah. I don't care. I'm just <laughs> saying, that's who you elected. Yeah. Next. 
Nikki Haley calls Joe Biden's executive orders about transgender athletics an attack on women's rights. No kidding. Nikki has joined voices in opposition for President Biden's executive order. Uh, they're saying transgender athletes can compete with women. He said women can't compete with this. She went on to say across the sporting world, the game is being rigged against women in favor of biological men. President Biden is the latest man to do the rigging, which is strange coming from someone billed as a defender of women. The order was framed as a matter of transgender rights, but really it was an attack on women's rights. Don't you agree? 100%. If, if you feel like you're a woman, that's your thing. You can't compete against them if you have the biology of a man. It's not fair. Spot on. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, we have a busy hour coming your way as we await another impeachment. I know the one revisiting, uh, that impeachment's always fun. Uh, Michael Goodwin standing by at the New York Post to put the ridiculous rules. The governor who leads actually sets policy, we know this for sure now, by press conference. Makes it up as he goes along, as we expected here in New York with Governor Cuomo. Uh, governor, uh, General Jack Keene will be with us on the demand that Iran has for us to drop the sanctions before they stop weaponizing uranium. And then we'll do a simulcast on Barney and Company. If you're watching us on Fox Nation, great. But if you want to see me on Fox Business 2, you wait till 10.50. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. For example, Del Rio. They're up from 2,476 in the week before Biden's inauguration, the last week, 5,699 apprehensions. You know, that's all along the border. Agents that I've spoken to describing people literally just running past them. Yeah, and she's not kidding. Laura Logan tells it like it is because she's sitting there now legitimizing illegitimate immigration. Now it's easier to commit a crime and get in and try to stay here. The insane rules coming from Joe Biden's geniuses at the White House. Number two. It may be the case that uh, the Democrats are waking up to the possibility that this impeachment trial will not redound to their political credit because much of the country will not really see the point in trying to convict a man and remove him when he's already gone. Uh, yeah, Britt Hume saying like it is. Impeachment circus kicks off today. The rules, the game plans, and how it all ends for President Trump and his party. Number one. This can be done provided that the capability of keeping the children and the teachers safe, namely wearing of masks. And obviously you have a, a lot of serious discussions going on between the teachers union and the officials of the city and the states. Anthony Fauci, does he ever say anything of use? Unbelievable. COVID-19, will they ever get it? School shutdowns, supply, uh, never-ending pain for uh, school shutdowns, never-ending supply, never-ending pain for kids and unions. Hold out, stay out as public schools in major cities uh, continue to struggle, plus the latest on our unaffordable rescue plan as it makes its way through the Democratic Washington, D.C. that we're witnessing right now. Joining us now is... You know him as Michael Goodwin, New York Post and Fox News contributor. Michael, I'm just amazed at how many times I listen to Anthony Fauci and learn nothing. <laughs> Good morning, Brian. 
You know, Brian, uh, I, I'm also amazed whenever I hear Joe Biden say we will follow the science, we will follow the experts. Um, science is not a fixed thing. I mean, that's the whole point of science. Uh, the, the word itself to the real scientist means you are always open. You you are always questioning. So many things have been discovered uh, simply by questioning, and you you think you have something that's settled, and you go and examine it in the lab, and you come up with something entirely different. I mean, that's why all this peer reviews. That's what science is about. And the Democrats, particularly Joe Biden, are treating it as though whatever they say is settled forever. And and secondly, Joe Biden says, I'll listen to the experts. Well, is that is he going to let the military run him, too? Is he going to let the military decide when we bomb and when we go to war and when we don't? He's the commander in chief. He's also the commander of the scientists. So this idea of putting it off, that somebody says it's true and therefore we must follow it, that's not leadership. That's not presidential. That, that, that's sort of a campaign buzzword that the Democrats came up with to run against Donald Trump. But Joe Biden is president now. He can't just sit there and let you know Fauci say one thing one day and another thing another day. What is the science then? Uh, the president has to make these determinations. That's the job of the president. Joe Biden wants to be vice president or something because he's not acting presidential in this way. Yeah, he's run, signing a whole bunch of uh, consequential consequential executive orders. But the first thing you got to do uh, if you want to benefit the greatest number of people is get these kids back in school at all ages. I just admire this this town outside in Pennsylvania, just by Pittsburgh. They had the parents went ahead and did their own survey about their kids and the price they're paying in this hybrid learning environment, which many of which it ends up being more stay at home learning environment. More than 50 sure. percent of the kids uh, say it is totally ineffective. Almost all responsive say they were disconnected from their peers. Some of the quotes, I feel elected, I feel less connected to my peers. I'm not doing any of the things that make high school positive and fun. It's all schoolwork and no activities to make the day go easier. Another student, it makes me sad. It makes me anxious. Another one, I feel so disconnected from myself and from my friends. I don't have any motivation or passion for anything. It has been a year. School systems are back. These unions pushing back in San Francisco, Chicago, and Philadelphia should be ashamed of themselves. Well, and don't forget New York. I mean, it's the yes. same thing here, that the unions have fought everything every step of the way. And all of the, the bailout money that the feds want to give them, it doesn't make sense. Just let's throw money at the problem and the unions will go back. I thought it was a health issue. I didn't think it was a financial issue. But it, it's always the same. And, you know, Brian, I've been writing about the teachers unions in New York for a very long time. Uh, they have never changed. It has never been about the kids. That's not to say there aren't many wonderful teachers within these unions, but the unions themselves represent the lowest common denominator. Uh, if, 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 a union rep, if a union member is accused of a horrible crime against the child, the union will represent that horrible member because it's a membership in the union. That's what the unions are about, and that's how they've acted here. They've acted not in the interest of children. 
children, but they've acted in the selfish interest of the adults that, oh, you can get paid and stay home. Bingo. We're for that. And some of the teachers obviously want to go back. But the union is always defending the lowest common denominator. And this governor who the stories came out last week that his staff is quitting. Nine health officials are quitting. Governor of New York, Cuomo, who they say is the face and the leader that they wish Donald Trump was. Really? What in, the ego's gone wild. He's just making it up. And now we find out, Mr. Listen to the Science Health Officials, they were being ignored. The pandemic uh, plan was being scrapped. He was making it up and over and, and using his power that the legislator foolishly gave him to just make rules autocratically. And now he decides uh, he says, well, the numbers are going down. This is the lowest since October across the country. This is great news. Hospitalizations down, deaths down, the overall cases in two weeks down 35 percent because of the vaccines and the antibodies combined. Yes. And we're being more cautious, perhaps. But now we find out that on February 1st, he decides in two weeks, I'm going to open up the uh, dining 25 percent indoors. Then he realizes it's a Sunday. Cut eight. We were planning to open the restaurants in New York City 25% indoor dining on Valentine's Day. Uh, They have made the point that uh, they'd like to open a couple of days earlier so they can be ready for Valentine's Day, get the staff oriented, get supplies into the restaurants. Uh, And that's uh, a reasonable request. So we'll start indoor dining on Friday at 25%. Okay, 25%. Who the hell is doing those percentages? How do you possibly stay open at 25% indoor dining when it's 19 degrees outside? And he's and to know, Michael Goodwin, that he's making it up with no experience. Well, Brian, that's exactly it. It's arbitrary. Um, and that, I think, is what's rankling a lot of people across the country. Uh, in California, I mean, you can, you can go to the mall, but you can't go to church. That's what the Supreme Court took on. How do, you, how do you limit times in church and say they can't sing or things like that when there's no time limit on going to the mall? Uh, so it's just this inconsistency which reveals that it's not science. It's, it's human beings sitting around making decisions, even, even if we grant that they are doing it in the best faith. Uh, still, there is an arbitrary element. And, of course, we see that many of these mayors and governors don't follow their own guidelines, uh, but yet they'll put people out of business at, at the drop of a hat. And the, these heavy fines, if you break any of these obscure rules, I mean, Cuomo at one point, you can't just serve alcohol. You also have to serve food. I mean, who said, what, the, the, virus, uh, the virus doesn't travel with food, only travels with alcohol? Or if the tenor- clock? Yeah, exactly. I mean, no TVs in your bar in California. I mean, all of these things are just totally arbitrary. And that, I think, is what's what's wrong. I mean, I think we can all agree in the beginning, everyone was scared. We didn't know what was going on. A, a lot of this was warranted. There was a national consensus. President Trump said, you know, let's, let's uh, pause everything for two weeks and then two weeks more. But that was 10 months ago. Uh, and, and a lot of people are still doing it. And 
And it's interesting, of course, the states that had a lot more openings, such as Florida, have done much better. And, of course, Cuomo, with his lying and hiding of information about the nursing home deaths, you see that New York did the worst of all. In every possible measure, <laughs> uh, New York did, did the worst. So here's Cuomo a, here's... acts as though he has the ideas. He so he's got this other idea. Ideas. He shuts down Broadway immediately. Maybe you think it should. I would go every other seat and see if the numbers work and if the union would take a discount and, the, and everybody, we can get back to work in some type of normalcy. But maybe you don't want to do that. What about the comedy clubs, which will do anything they can to get on their small stage, set up plexiglass. I talked to two owners. They are ready. And then this is announced yesterday. And I know I'm talking about New York and we're heard around the country, but just know every Democratic governor has idiot ideas like this and a love with celebrities. Uh, governor Cuomo says this. They're going to do this thing called New York pop-ups. Well, Cuomo's over described the, uh, a festival of pilot programs to create the state's first large-scale model for how to bring live performances back safely. The campaign runs from February 20th to Labor Day weekend and will feature performances from Chris Walk to Alec Baldwin. You know, they called him and he loves celebrities and they said, we got to get back on stage. He said the festival is a critical step towards the return of New York's live entertainment. Why do we need this step? We have outdoor concerts already, including staffs and security. You have situations where you can open up the windows in these comedy clubs. They know how to do it. But you need Chris Rock and Alec Baldwin to call their buddy the same way they got SNL opened. We can see SNL with a live audience, but we can't see Gotham Comedy Club or uh, Stand Up New York. I mean, what is this? how does this guy get away with this? Well, look, Brian, I think one of the consistent things that when you look across the country at these governors who have gone for the most extreme shutdowns, all of them are career politicians. They've never had a real job. Uh, they've never owned a business, run a business. They've been in politics their whole lives. As you said, they associate with celebrities. They associate with, with donors. Uh, they don't really have friendships in the way that normal people do. Their lives are almost monastic in the, in the way they are secluded from the real world. And so Andrew Cuomo never ran a business. You know, he talks about his family as though his family had businesses, but he didn't. He never had to make a payroll where there was a limited amount of money. He's in government. You just get more. You just tax more. That's all. You just play with the books. You do some creative financing. You pretend you sold something and you didn't, and you get away with it. Uh, you hide the numbers that are inconvenient. If anybody in business did what he did about the deaths in New York, they would go to jail because they're fudging the books. But in, when you're in government, you are secluded from the realities. You are exempt from the realities. And this is, the, this is for me, the reason why conservatism is the better principle. The smaller the government, the less power yep. the government has over daily life. That is what America is about. And we see the more power government gets, the more it screws up things. I wish you were lying, but you're not. You calm also Sunday was great. Looking at the New York Times and the trouble they have wrought, have wrought is blown up in their own uh, politically correct face. And you, you chronicle it well. So uh, crazy times. I just cannot believe we're stuck with this government uh, that we have right now in New York. And until they back law enforcement, we're never going to get back to normal. Uh, they, until they give a sense of security back in the streets – you can bring back the people, but you're also going to bring back the carjacking, the robberies, the thuggery uh, on mass transit. When people do come back to New York, they're not going to believe the criminals now run the place. Um, Michael, thanks so much. 
My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. All right. When we come back to your calls, one 408 And then I'm going to talk about the, the global stage with General Jack Keane and do a simulcast on FBN uh, with Stuart Varney. And we're still watching. We're a few hours away at the beginning of the impeachment trial, which I've not talked about much yet, but will soon. Thanks. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I don't think this story, from where I'm sitting anyway, is, is just about the loss of jobs, which is a big deal. Nor is it just about the potential loss of energy independence, which is an even bigger deal. It's about both of those things. But from my perspective, it's also about the incredible degree to which so many millions of Americans have become disconnected from the role of fossil fuels in their personal daily lives, not just at the pump and not just at the thermostat inside of the house, but with everything from yoga pants to the plastic keys on my keyboard right now. This is We have affirmatively embarked, it seems, upon a larger plan wherein it's okay to make energy the enemy. Yeah, which is nuts uh, because it fuels everything, including your house. While John Kerry hops on his private jet and goes to Greenland, to Iceland, rather, to because I don't think anyone's ever been to Greenland, although I think Trump tried to buy it. I wish he was successful in that. That would have been hysterical, and I would love to go. But he goes to Iceland to accept a green energy award, going to bat for uh, the environment. And when asked about why you took it to private jet, he goes, well, I have to travel that way. Typical. Perfect. Exactly. All you climate change or global warming people, you stand for nothing. Daryl, listening in West Virginia. Hey, Daryl. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. What's on your mind? Oh, man, the, the school thing, I'm listening I was listening to you guys talk about the school thing earlier, and I just had to call because my wife and I have been dealing with this for the past year, and we have three children in school, and two of them are in middle school, and they are struggling more than I've ever seen. Honor roll students, their whole school career, whatever you want to call it so far, and the past year, they have fallen way behind. The teachers aren't. They're just putting work up there for them to do. So are they on laptops? Yeah, they're on their little Chromebooks, and the Internet where I live at just so happens to be that I only have one choice for Internet, and it's terrible. So only one of them can get on at a time, and I have three children that need to be in class. So they struggle with that on a daily basis. They're always missing meetings because they can't get on. And if that's not bad enough, I got one that is a beautiful, happy child, always laughing, always smiling, always in a good mood. And a few weeks ago, I'm in the garage working on stuff, and she comes out, sits down, and just starts bawling. And when I asked her what was wrong, she said, I just can't take it no more. I'm tired of being stuck in the house. I'm tired of not being able to see my friend. Well, why? And let me ask you, what, is it apart. teachers' unions in your situation? Do you feel it's dangerous? What's going on? It's absolutely dangerous. It's absolutely. Last year when they tried to get them back in school, the teachers threatened to strike. Now, this year they tried to get them back in school. They threatened again. Luckily, the governor did say, hey, we are going to start school back up, but they're doing that uh, two-day-a-week thing, which 
isn't very much better than what we had. It, it uh, is an improvement come. because at least they get to go two days a week. But Darryl, it, it's unacceptable. Terrible. I feel so bad for your kids. Get them back in school. Governor Justice, come on. We expect more than that. When we come back, I'm going to talk to General Jack Keane. China and more. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Is there a timeline for when President Biden would like to try to come back to the table and get a deal on the Iran nuclear deal? Well, that's really up to Iran. Um, if uh, Iran comes back into full compliance with the obligations under the JCPOA, uh, the Iran nuclear deal, the United States would do the same and then use that as a platform to build a longer and stronger agreement that also addresses other areas of concern. Uh, that's Jen Psaki yesterday talking about Iran made this demand. They said, uh, release the sanctions and then we'll stop, uh, we'll stop enriching uranium to weapons grade level. Joining us now, General Jack Keane. It looks as though, much to my relief, we are not looking to do that now, according to Joe Biden. He says, no, he's not going to. He said that on Sunday we saw the Super Bowl. Joining us now, uh, General, what do you think? Well, uh, listen, we're hearing the right things. He certainly he's not going to remove the sanctions, which is really the primary leverage that we have. Why would we ever give that up? Uh, so that's number one. Number two, he also has the Abraham Accords. That gives him wind in the back because of... The Arabs are united with the Israelis against what? Against against the Iranians. But it really comes down to, though, that this is the same negotiating team uh, that did the original deal in 2014 and 2015. The chief negotiator was Wendy Sherman. She's now number two in state. Uh, Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor now in the Biden administration, participated in it. Uh, Tony Blinken uh, participated in it to a lesser degree. And that team turned out not to be tough enough, uh, and they rolled on uh, on on Iran's con- uh, demands, and and Iran just balked when we brought something up that was not nuclear in terms of Iran's behavior in the region or ballistic missile uh, control, etc. Uh, this time we're going to find out if, if if they're up to the task because literally with the leverages that they have, and they. Their desire to strengthen the deal, which means prohibit missile development, uh, do something about Iran's behavior in the region, anywhere, anytime inspections. These are some of the things that certainly should be negotiated on a part of the United States. And will they be tough enough when Iran's balked? When when Iran says, no, we're not going to do that, we're, we're wanting to get up from the table and walk away. Uh, are, are we going to concede at that point? Or are we going to be the tough negotiators that this that this deal really demands? That that is the open question that I have because so many of the same people are invested in the original deal, right. which turned out to be so fundamentally flawed. Brian, uh, Admiral Stavridis told me Friday. I said, "What would you do first if you were?" He goes, "The first thing I would do is not go and set up a meeting with Iran. I'd go to Brussels, and I want to get Europe on the same page as us." 
Number one, is that possible? How do you feel about that move? I'm not certain it's possible. Um, and the reason is, you know, the Trump administration, in, in fairness to them, um, the president never liked the deal. But he let his his team, his negotiation team, his national security team, work with the Germans, the U.K., and, and the French. I'm assuming that's what he's really talking about here um, for 18 months to try to negotiate a better deal. And we couldn't get get it out of them. And therefore, you know, he pulled out of the deal. But he gave them a year and a half to do it. I, I, I don't see them. Uh, really participating in tough negotiations. There's, they've already had some discussions uh, with the European friends last week, and I'm certain they'll they'll have some more uh, with them as well. But uh, they're sort of feckless leaders when it comes to it. Uh, they've never st- stood up strong against the Iranians, the, the exception of the Brits. Um, but I, I don't have much hope there. I think that the strength of this really comes from the alliances that exist in the region. It's the Arabs and the Israelis. They right. they are facing the threat, and they are now united. And that is who I would be relying on. Of course. And I would be having primary discussions with them in terms of the strategy going forward. So the what about the Houthi rebels? We put them on the terror watch list, and we just released them from that list under the Biden administration. We also said uh, we are pull, we're 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 relinquishing our support for Saudi Arabia in their battle against the Houthi rebels in neighboring Yemen. What do you think of both those things? I I don't like the pattern, and I don't like the message it's sending, because it reminds me of the two thousand eight. Obama-Biden administration, when we distance ourselves from the Arabs in the region and the, in favor uh, and appeasing the Iranians. So, listen, I, I understand that Trump administration designated the Houthis as a terrorist organization just a month before the end of the administration, and they weren't really able to work out uh, how countries can still provide humanitarian aid to the people of Yemen even though sanctions are going to be imposed. And those details weren't worked out. My issue is this. It has less to do with the designation of them as a terrorist organization, more to do with how we're treating them. The Houthi rebels are an Iranian-backed proxy organization which overthrew a government friendly to the United States in Yemen. It required an emergency exit from our embassy, and they caused a, a military retreat from Yemen and closing our special operation force base that we were using to conduct operations against the al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. That, that uh, was, was an absolute setback for the United States. Saudi Arabia and the UA responded in kind because there was a threat to their sovereignty, and we assisted them. The fact that we're pulling back the assistance that we provided to them, though they are moving now towards more humanitarian relief and less hostility. Not that, not that the Houthis are doing that, because they're still flying drones into Saudi Arabia within the last three days. I think that pulling away from the, the Saudis and the UAE and also uh, causing a weapons pause and not giving them the weapons that they need to have a credible defense against the Iranians right. reminds me of the pattern of the past. We're pulling away from our allies again. 
And that was a huge mistake on the part of the Biden administration. And it strengthened the Iranians' hand. What are we doing by pulling away uh, from the UAE and the Saudi Arabia over the war in Yemen? We're strengthening the Iranians' hand. We're encouraging them. And here, and this is before we're going to go into negotiations with them over the nuclear deal. A huge mistake, uh, right. as far as I'm concerned. And a lot of people listening go, who cares about Yemen? Who cares? No, no, you should care. Just know, so you know, if we pull back, we're giving Yemen to Iran. And no, they're on the doorstep and the neighbor of Saudi Arabia, and already they're sending drones and harassing Saudi neighborhoods. i got to bring you to North Korea, another area of your expertise, General Jack Keane. It looks as though they've been thriving under the pandemic. They managed to stole, possibly through Bitcoin, $316 million to improve their nuclear weapons. And many people observing says, how have they improved their armed forces with no economic firepower that we know of? Yeah, well, the North Koreans at Masters, of finding uh, revenue and income for themselves. During the pandemic, it is a fact that even though the border is closed with China, uh, China has been helping them more than what they've had in the past. And they've they've always received help from Russia. There's third-party transfers of of oil to assist them and the sale of coal to to assist them. And and they have workers... uh, in Russia and other parts of the world where they see revenue from that. So, and then, of course, they're out there stealing and conducting criminal activity, not, largely cyber-based criminal activity, on a regular basis. They are absolutely masters at, at criminal activity and finding ways to manipulate the system. Listen, right from the beginning, the U.N. imposed – Uh, two resolutions in terms of sanctions on the North Koreans. And from the outset, the Chinese and Russians, even though they voted yes to those resolutions and to those sanctions, violated those sanctions. And and that has been the pattern of behavior uh, going all the way back to 2017. Uh, General Jack Keane, thank you uh, for that. Now let's move, if we can, uh, over to China. Here's Anthony Blinken on... um, uh, Anthony Blinken, on the new administration's policies, cut 43. In fairness to President Trump, uh, he was right to take a tougher uh, approach to, uh, to China. The way he went about it, in my judgment, uh, was wrong across the board. We have to engage China from a position of strength. And whether it's the adversarial aspects of the relationship, the competitive ones, or the cooperative ones, uh, which are there in our, in our mutual interest, we have to deal with it from a position of strength. Did he approach it all the, uh, with the wrong way across the board? No, he didn't. I, I think that had to do with more uh, President Trump's uh, personal diplomacy, initially trying to befriend President Xi and then having uh, a, a very caustic relationship with him, uh, largely based on uh, on the pandemic. And, and I think uh, the fact is, uh, by now, they recognize that the United States did have a very comprehensive strategy dealing with China. It was a whole-of-government strategy. And it was done in concert with our allies. And we re- rebuilt the Quad Alliance, which is the United States, Japan, India, and Australia. Uh, three of, of the four largest economies in the world are in that alliance. Gotcha. And o- others are participating as well. So I, I think they're going to see uh, that our foreign policy and national security right. strategy was much more than than President Trump's personal diplomacy. And he approved all of that strategy. Yeah, we're up against a break, but thanks so much. We covered the world. General Jack Keane, thank you so much.
Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everyone. I'll be with Stuart Varney shortly, and you can always watch us on Fox Nation. You know that. But with Stuart Varney, we'll have a chance to go on FBN and Fox Nation. A lot of people didn't think that was physically possible, but we can do it. Uh, the other thing we're going to be talking about is... Uh, the rescue package and more. So let's listen in. Brian Kilmeade, he will miraculously appear on the right-hand side of the screen. Right there, there he is, the lad himself. Right. COVID cases down, what, 36% in a couple of weeks. Deaths down 12%. We don't hear this good news. All we ever hear, Brian, is the scare, the scare, the scare. You know, it drives me nuts. How about you? Uh, even Anthony Fauci last night with Brett Baer, he was saying, well, the case is going up. It's been a tough winter. Really? Uh, I, it's been a tough winter, of course. We're in a pandemic. But compared to where it was and what you projected it to be, not close. Cases are dropping precipitously. That has a lot to do with the fact that we think about how many people have the antibodies. Now we got the vaccines with 10% of the population. And also we have a situation where not many people are traveling and we're getting smarter about doing it. Deaths are down. Hospitalizations are down as well. I think it has a lot to do, if you want to get $2 trillion from the American people we don't have, after we just gave them $900 billion that we didn't have, how do you do that at the same time, uh, laud the, uh, the case numbers? Yeah. You can't do it. you got to say this is dire and it's an emergency. Why are we taking so long to reopen restaurants and bars and other places, like in New York City, in Chicago, in Los Angeles? Why is it taking so long to get the most minuscule opening up moves in these Democrat-run states? Well, I thought that one of the most telling stories I saw was the New York Post last week when these nine health officials quit in New York for Governor Cuomo. And you know what they were tired of? They were tired of him running the state by press conference. They would literally watch the press conference and then realize what the policy would be from there. They watched him tear up the pandemic game plan that was written right after 9-11 because he didn't feel like it was going to be effective, as if he knows. He grew up in the governor's mansion, never held a real job, married a Kennedy, and then uh, screwed up as HUD director and somehow fell into this position after making disparaging remarks about Governor Pataki right after 9-11. That's the guy we're stuck with right now, who's more in love with celebrities than he is with the people of New York, feels like he's sentenced to stay here. Same thing in these other states because they're not business people and they're paying the price politically. At least I know they're doing it in California. The latest thing is get this, get your calculator out because as of Friday, you can now open up restaurants with the few people left in this city to 25%. What does that mean? 25% indoor, the rest go sit out in 19-degree weather outside in some lean-to on the sidewalk. What does that do? He says, okay, I just realized Valentine's Day Sunday, so I'll open up a couple of days before so you can get your staff up to, uh, up to snuff for the big day. Yeah, because Sunday is... Uh, we have work and school the next day, the few that are. And Saturday might be a big idea where we can get that 25% in restaurants. I, um, we're being led by idiots who don't have a sense of business. They careful, don't have a sense careful, of humanity. 
Careful. The, the, the name calling, you know, Brian, let's not descend to everybody else's level. I mean, I may agree with you, but, you know, that's a strong word to use. Not not keen on it myself. Well, just, just to talk to talk to some of these people who are going home uh, to empty bank accounts. Sure. sure, sure. I don't think we'll return to anything like what we used to be like in New York City for years and years and years. I just don't think we're going back to that. Last word to you, 20 seconds. It's yours. Uh, on that, the major cities will go back to normal when law enforcement is allowed to be law enforcement again. You can't do anything without security. Even when we come back to businesses and banks and insurance companies and go back in the subways, the crime is out of control, the shootings and the guns in these major cities. And I just spoke to somebody in Minneapolis and St. Paul today. Uh, there's, they've been robbed five times in St. Paul. And the cops say we're down 25 percent. We're not allowed to do anything. There's nothing we can do. It starts with law enforcement. Yes, it does. Brian, thanks very much for being with us. Always appreciated. I'm just going to ask our producers if you can show me that live shot of... Six- okay, one 408 so let's talk about that. What's happening in the city? Here's the announcement today, uh, excuse me, yesterday from the governor of New York, who has decided, who has decided that he's going to open up restaurants 25% two days early. When was asked, can you do it a week early for the Super Bowl? His answer was, you, you can't drink and wear a mask. What do you think you're doing at home? To me, the, this is, you have to just shelve... Uh, logic. So here is what uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo said yesterday about, remember I said we're going to open up on Valentine's Day? Cut eight. We were planning to open the restaurants in New York City 25% indoor dining on Valentine's Day. Uh, they have made the point that uh, they'd like to open a couple of days earlier so they can be ready for Valentine's Day, get the staff oriented, get supplies into the restaurants. Uh, and that's uh, a reasonable request. So we'll start indoor dining on Friday at 25%. 25%. I mean, let's say you have 100 tables. you got 25 tables that are all spread out. What you do is those inspectors that are out there finding people, go out there and clear people. Go out there and clear places on the ventilation and the spacing and the plexiglass and the masking on the staff, and then allow 50 to 75%. That takes work. It's much harder to help people than it is to find people. And that's what we're seeing right now in New York. And that's what we're seeing in Chicago. That's what we're seeing all around. And if they take your liquor license, you could be as tough as you want them, defiant as you want. But the states are in charge of the liquor license. If you can't get a liquor license, and outside, I guess, Arby's and some of these, um, you know, some of these ice cream shops, you are out of business. And you'll find that out by the mail. It won't have a chance to plead your case. They could hold on to it and hold out for it uh, for months. And that's the scary thing. Hey, this, this week we have brand new editions of What Made America Great on Fox Nation. It's the George Washington Spies based off the George Washington Secret Six that I have out. As well as a tour of the Washington Monument. It's a two-part one. And then we have a, a visit to the Keys. Harry Truman's Little White House. I'm sure you didn't think it existed. It does. It is great. You can go check it out on Fox Nation. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. 
Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian hey, Kilmeade. thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, this hour, we're going to have a couple of special guests. We're going to have a former senator from Colorado, Senator Cory Gardner, is going to be joining us. So Mike Gonzalez, a senior fellow with the Heritage Foundation uh, uh, for Foreign Policy. And we're going to be talking about what's going on with our history. You know, one thing Donald Trump waited too long to do is to reaffirm our past 1776 education over this upstart 1619 education. And uh, even though there's so, been so many holes blown in the 1619 uh, series, which ends up being curriculum for so many school systems around the country, there was pushback, and now it's been disbanded. Mike Gonzalez weighs in as a historian. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. For example, Del Rio. They're up from 2,476 in the week before Biden's inauguration. The last week, 5,699 apprehensions. You know, that's all along the border. Agents that I've spoken to describing people literally just running past them. What do you say to that? Legitimizing illegitimate immigration. Now it's easier to commit a crime to get in and try to stay here once you are here. The insane new rules that ICE has to live with. Joe Biden's geniuses at work at the White House. Number two. It may be the case that uh, the Democrats are waking up to the possibility that this impeachment trial will not redound to their political credit because much of the country will not really see the point in trying to convict a man and remove him when he's already gone. Uh, Brett Hume trying to make some logic, uh, put some logic into our, our brain system. Impeachment circus kicks off today, about one o'clock Eastern time. The rules, the game plans and how it all ends for President Trump and his party. Number one. This can be done, provided that the capability of keeping the children and the teachers safe, namely wearing of masks. And obviously you have a, a lot of serious discussions going on between the teachers union and the officials of the city and the states. It is being done. you got to get the kids back to school. COVID-19, will they ever get it? School shutdowns? Supply never-ending pain for kids as unions hold out and stay out of public schools in major cities. Plus, the latest on our unaffordable rescue plan as it makes its way through a Democratic D.C. And, and White House. It looks like Senator Schumer's come out and said, yeah, I'll take we have Republican buy-in support. Really? Why? Where? you got to give a little to get some support. So far, when it came to using uh, reconciliation, which means a simple majority vote, not one Republican voted for it. They put out a proposal that would give $690 billion and to the $900 billion in December. It's not even been looked at. Uh, Senator Biden, now President Biden, said, yeah, I remember when I was in those seats. We're going to take a look at this. But by the time Senator Schumer came in, they're not looking at that. So the rescue package is not going to work. In the meantime, the real battle is being fought in the American household and American schools, where Something like 20 million kids have been held out of school or in some hybrid situation, and it just doesn't make any sense. If it is a ventilation issue, if it is a separation issue, please let's hear it and tackle it. But so far, Chicago, San Francisco, Philadelphia, just three off the top of my head are in, uh, in, in a deadlock now in terms of getting these kids back to school. Even though the CDC set up guidelines and says the kids are better off back in school because the fallout is tremendous. Here's Dr. Anthony Fauci trying to play both sides again. Cut three. 
And just to be clear, you're not speaking in a personal capacity. You're speaking as, as the job that you do, right? I mean, we had the White House come out and say that the CDC director saying almost exactly what you said was speaking in a personal capacity, not an official guidance. But this is going to be the official guidance, is it not? Well, I, you know, the official guidance, Brett, is coming out literally imminently, very likely this before the end of this week. So I think it would be important, rather than trying to get different opinions of it, let's see what the guidance shows, and then we could all discuss about the various aspects of the guidance. But it will be coming out, I, I'm, I'm almost certain, before the end of the week. Uh, it's just it's just amazing he's still holding on to that when he sees the psychological damage of the kids who are pleading to get a chance to get back to school in a healthy, responsible way. Dr. Mark Siegel says, look at the study, understand what the risks are, and get back in the classroom. Cut seven. Follow the science, said President Biden, but that may not apply to teachers' unions, right? So, listen, what is the science? It's becoming clearer and clearer every day. The longer schools stay closed, the more mental health problems there are, the more the CDC itself is reporting more visits to mental health urgent care. And then there's this huge study out of North Carolina of 90,000 kids and teachers that showed only 32 cases of COVID and over 770 in the community itself. Clearly, COVID is not spreading in schools the way it is in the community. Right. Uh, that's called following the science, doesn't it? So the I just think the numbers are going down precipitously. We have uh, a lot of people with antibodies. we got the vaccine going out. We have people acting responsibly. At the same time, we're probably more active, much more active than we even a year ago. About the relief bill specifically, because I don't want to take too much time away from uh, Corey Gardner, this is $1.9 trillion. Now, there's no doubt about it. People being forced to sit on the sidelines need some help. But we got to be able to target this money. Minimum wage should not be part of it. And I just can't believe that there's no Republican buy-in when there was Democratic buy-in during the Trump years. How about four previous packages? Here's Senator Schumer, cut 14. We'd welcome bipartisan support. And in fact, there is bipartisan support in the very real sense that over 50 percent of Republicans are for this bill and all its parts. If our Republican congressmen and our Republican senators don't want to go along, the needs of the people supersede that. Right. Uh, the needs of the people. And, and, you know, Republicans are anti-people. And that was the problem, because people vote and they went uh, against them. Uh, right. Uh, the simplistic way in which they couch things are a joke. So let's fast forward to impeachment starts in about an hour and a half or shortly today. And it'll go on for about a week, it seems. Uh, they're both going to be able to get equal time in terms of uh, their testimony forward. There'll be a lot of video. One critical error, Trey Gowdy, who is a legal expert and a great communicator, had this to say yesterday afternoon about the articles. The articles set the Democrats up for loss. Cut 20. I think the Democrats, in their haste to impeach this president for the second time, um, picked uh, the weakest of their arguments. Um, I'm not suggesting they would have been successful on another argument, but a much better argument is, okay, you were surprised that the siege took place. What did you do once you learned that it was happening? Uh, that is the better impeachment article, is what did the president do once the siege began but they didn't want to do that. They picked the dumbest of all impeachment articles. What the president's lawyers are going to do is play those clips 
and say, you know what, if you're going to start penalizing hot political rhetoric, let's do it for both sides. Yeah, uh, under the deal they cut, the House impeachment manager and Trump team will have 16 hours over the course of two days to present their cases. The doors are open for witnesses. They don't look like they'll have them. It's a faster pace than both Clinton trials had and first Trump trial with both sides got 24 hours. It was a lot of people repeating themselves. There's a sense that the Trump side will not take the whole time. We do know that there's more resources for the House managers and the Democrats, there'll be more video. That's fine. But if the Democrats think that they're going to get unscathed, forget it. Here's an example of some of the detrimental words and actions of the squad and others on the Democratic side. It's first is Presley, then is Waters and Eric Holder, then Nancy Pelosi. Tell me if this doesn't show a double standard. Cut 22. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there is unrest in our lives. You see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. When they go low, we kick I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country, and maybe there will be. Right. And there were uprisings over the weekend. You know what was? Antifa. You know what's been happening over the last two weeks in Portland? Antifa. No one even brings that up. And remember Chuck Schumer. Tell me this isn't threatening language. Cut 21. I want to tell you, Gorsuch. I want to tell you, Kavanaugh. You have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. Really? It got him a rebuke from the chief justice, who's done so much for the Democratic side to stop the Republic, the, the Trump agenda. So uh, get ready for some blowback. And finally, just to talk about where we're going to go with this, I think in the end, uh, Trump's going to have some rough days, but there's going to get some pushback. And I think in the end, I think the Democrats are surprised he's still got popularity on the right. And there are people like Adam Kinzinger who are out. Lisa Murkowski might even switch parties. There's Mitt Romney, who never liked him. And that's pretty much it, along with Pat Toomey, who's retiring, that'll vote against him. But very few minds are going to be changed, which means they could try to censure him at the last minute. Their goal is to no longer have him in political conversation. Cut 24. They never envisioned going after a president once he's out of office because the purpose of impeachment is to remove the person, not bar them from running uh, in the future. So the whole point of impeachment is lost when the person is no longer in office. They didn't go after Nixon when he resigned for a reason. So we're going to talk about uh, where we're going from here uh, with the Republican Party and the Democratic Party because they got the slight majorities, but some of the things they're doing is just remarkably unpopular. They're for the left-left wing of their party with these executive orders at the border with the environment, oil and gas and pipelines, as well as their foreign policy, which don't tell me they'll be able to outmaneuver Trump. I think his foreign policy extremely strong. Well, Cory Gardner is one of the senators who lost their slot last time around. First time we're talking to him since uh, he is no longer the senator from Colorado. Always extremely popular, especially with the right and affable. Got to get his insight on the retirings of Senator Portman, possibly Senator Johnson, and definitely Senator Shelby was announced yesterday. And so much more as we get ready for the impeachment trial, as well as uh, to find out what is going next with the executive orders coming from the White House. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Holding our politicians' feet to the fire, no matter who they are. That's Brian Kilmeade. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. It may be the case that uh, the Democrats are waking up to the possibility that this this impeachment trial will not down to their political credit because much of the country will not really see the point in trying to convict a man and remove him when he's already gone. Uh, Apart from that, the case that Trump incited uh, the mob by what he said on the day of the riot uh, seems a little weak in light of the fact that the president explicitly encouraged these protesters to go to Capitol Hill and protest, as he put it, peacefully and patriotically. Well, wow, that was uh, Brit Hume says, you know, listen, I don't love the way the president acted, but is this the time? Is this how you impeach somebody who's on the golf course? Corey Gardner, former senator from Colorado, lost a heartbreaker this time out of a very effective, very popular uh, senator, especially on the right, uh, has a, a new job. He's chairman of the National Victory Action Fund and joins us now. Uh, senator, welcome back. Hey, good morning, Brian. Thanks for having me. Hey, no problem. I know no one likes to lose, but it was considered you were up against it in a very seemingly blue state. What do you think the reason was you didn't win? You know, if you go back to this race in September, we've virtually had a tie in this race. Justice Ginsburg passed. Uh, It changed the dynamics of the race in Colorado uh, and made it very difficult for us. Look, uh, I knew they didn't like the President Trump put somebody put somebody in that seat. Yeah, I think that made it a challenge. And and so I knew the right thing was to confirm a well-qualified jurist, Amy Coney Barrett. That's why I made sure that I voted for her confirmation, because it's about following the Constitution. It's about making sure we have conservative judges up and down our courts. And that's exactly what I did. But, you know, uh, Colorado is a state that uh, has a pretty strong hold on it right now by the Democrats. True. Uh, so the uh, have you noticed on your right, it's Senator Shelby is retiring. He's getting up there in age, almost 90. Uh, Senator Portman was a bit of a surprise to some. He will not be coming back, and neither will Pat Toomey. What's going on here? Well, look, I think you have people who've served a long time. Uh, Richard Shelby has served an incredible time in the Senate. Rob Portman, I remember, was in the Congress, uh, worked in the Bush White House uh, for President George W. Bush, uh, and in the Senate. At some point, I think uh, people look at it and say, hey, what else can I do to serve my country? Uh, But that's why the National Victory Action Fund is so important, because it is about making a conservative majority in the Senate and the House uh, a reality. And that's why I'm so excited about this uh, announcement today. So uh, who's joined you in this effort? And is this your version of the Stacey Abrams uh, action pack? You think about what Stacey Abrams did in Georgia, raising over $24 million. Uh, In 2022, uh, we're going to face an incredible juggernaut of uh, Democratic fundraising, an onslaught of dollars that they have put together. 2018, 2020, our candidates got outraised. The National Victory Action Fund is about grassroots getting dollars directly to candidates who, with time, money, and control of their own destiny, will win our majority back in the Senate and the House. That's exactly what we're doing. Looking at Georgia, uh, just the, the special election that we went through, the National Victory Action Fund raised over $11 million. It was the largest grassroots conduit program of its kind, getting money not to consultants, not to super PACs, but getting dollars into the hands of David Perdue and Kelly Leffler with over 100,000 new donors and 500,000 individual uh, campaign contributions. Right. It didn't work. Uh, both lost. Uh, but you, you're outraised in a, in a normally red state. Republicans got to see about their message, and they certainly got to get their movement together, and they need somebody maybe on the outside 
because in the inside they seem to be tearing each other apart. I want you to listen to what Liz Cheney, who famously voted to impeach the president, said. The fact that he uh, was impeached in a bipartisan fashion, uh, the fact that, that uh, he lost the presidency, the fact that we lost the Senate, uh, we have to be in a position where we can say we stand for principles, we stand for ideals. Uh, somebody who uh, has provoked an attack on the United States Capitol to prevent the counting of electoral votes, uh, which resulted in five people dying, who refused to stand up immediately when he was asked and stop the violence. Uh, that, that is a person who does not have a role as a leader of our party going forward. Do you see it differently? Well, look, I, I think we have to focus on unifying our message uh, and focusing on 2022 for victory. Uh, look, we're not going to win elections by tearing uh, our, ourselves apart. We're not going to win elections by uh, this circular firing squad. Uh, look at Joe Biden's message of unity. It has now begun in this Congress with a partisan impeachment uh, and a partisan uh, COVID relief package. That's his idea of unity. So I think the, the House, the Senate, uh, candidates across the country can unite behind the values of our conservative cause and win elections. The National Victory Action Fund is going to be a part of that. Uh, you know, the reason it's so important, look, if you're a super PAC out there, you're going to pay 230% more, 230% more for the same advertising space that a candidate could. So this is about getting dollars directly to candidates. Uh, so no matter where they are in this country, we can win the election because that's the agenda that we have to take back uh, away from uh, this radical left that wants to move this country toward higher taxes, socialism, uh, and uh, open borders. All right, Senator Cory Gardner with us. Senator, real quick, uh, Jonathan Swan, I think a good reporter of Axios, really good reporter, to be honest. He says that in the people he's talked to, from, from Kevin McCarthy uh, to Matt Gates to Liz Cheney, he believes before the next election there'll be a Republican bloodletting about the direction of the party. Are you sensing that now semi on the outside looking to get back in on the inside? I know you want people to come together, but do you sense something's got to be done first? Look, I think we focus on values. If people are going to continue to focus on uh, the politics and infighting, yeah, there's going to be problems. But if we get back to the core values of what makes us who we are, limited government, unlimited opportunity, uh, the fact that uh, we want to help our neighbors uh, by creating opportunities for them through uh, job creation, lower taxes, energy jobs instead of killing those jobs, uh, we are going to have a strong uh, and majority-driven approach to 2022. So, uh, you know, there's not going to be a bloodletting. If we work together on the values that we share, and that is empowering this country to greatness uh, that we know it can achieve. All right. I look forward to talking to you often, uh, Corey Gardner. Appreciate the Senator from Colorado. Uh, back in the picture. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. Thanks. All right. We'll talk about the 1776 Commission, the love of history. Mike Gonzalez of Heritage next. The pushback. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. one 866 I'll get to your calls shortly. But right now, it's my privilege to bring in uh, Michael Gonzalez. He is a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation, Allison Center for Foreign Policy. Uh, Michael, you got your hands full on a normal basis looking outside our borders. But now we seem to be attacked from inside our borders, attacked on a history. Yeah, that's right, Brian. Thanks a lot for having me on. 
We used to think that we defeated uh, Marxism, communism, when the Soviet Union finally went away and we won the Cold War. But now we have a Marxist enemy within. They really are, and, and, and their approach is straight line. I, you know, I'm not being an extremist here. The Marxist approach of changing history, using history as it's, it's something malleable, as something that, that things that happen can 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 be changed in order to seize the future. These are the two things that that you know that are solid, right? The past and the future. That the present is ever fleeting. So what they want is to change the future, to change America. That's why I called my book the plot to change America, and they see history as the, the, their vehicle for doing that. Well, so it all really started with the 1619 Project, mainly, and that this series in the New York Times, riddled with errors and inaccuracies in opinion, it's now, it's now, uh, it's now blown up to a curriculum in many schools, especially urban schools. Yeah, I, I, would, I would actually put its beginning at Howard Zinn uh, and the People's History of the United States, which is still, sadly, uh, one of the best-selling history books in the United States. If, you, if, you're, uh, uh, if your listeners go to Amazon and, and see, search a People's History of the United States, they find that it's selling really, really well. And that's because all schools, K-12 through and universities, use a pack. This, this is really a pack of lies. So the 1619 Project in 2019 takes up where that leads off, but it actually – it's, it's all about critical race theory. It, it's, it looks at everything through the prism of race in America, and it, it does exactly as you say. It, 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 it has a, a lot of inaccuracies, like huge inaccuracies. One of the biggest is that what the founders were doing was not trying to liberate the country and create a, a, a home for liberty. They were trying to preserve slavery because they were afraid that the British were going to take away slavery. That is nowhere to be found in the, in the historical record, and yet the 1619 Project bases itself on this. It bases itself, it pretends that America begins not in 1776 or, or, or even 1787 when the Constitution is drafted. It begins when the first Africans arrive on our shores in Virginia in 1619. Um, and that, of course, that, that is not true. Uh, you know, America really as a project for freedom begins in 76. Imperfect as it is, man is flawed in, 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 in what, what the history of the United States is. It has a lot of instances where we have not lived to, to our aspirations. But I can tell you, Brian, I've lived in like eight different countries in the world. This is still the freest, most prosperous country in the world. And just look at people want to come here, not the other way around. Yeah, I, I thought that. And then there's been some pushback on the 1619 Project. They admitted some of the stuff they got wrong. Of course, the Revolutionary War uh, wasn't about slavery. And, of course, uh, slavery was, as George W. Bush first said, a guy I used to work with, uh, America's original sin. But how could that not, we not be for uh, freedom and liberty? How could we not be for freedom and liberty, a country that's continuing to correct itself and make itself better? Well, you know this history very well because you write a lot of this history too. I mean, your work on the on, on the, uh, the 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 spy plan, the, the spy group in the in, in, in George Washington's Secret Six. Thank you. Yeah, in the Revolutionary War is fantastic. Uh, look, I think the, your question answers itself. The people proposing this thing are very open about the fact that they don't like capitalism. 
They don't want capitalism. They think capitalism is racist. Capitalism leads to unequal outcomes. They want to displace, dismantle capitalism. I am. This is not Mike Gonzalez saying this. This is Ibram X. Kendi. This is Robin DiAngelo. This is Alicia Garza. This is Patrice Cullors, leaders of the Black Lives Matter organizations that are Marxist and leaders of, of in, in, in proponents of, of, of critical race theory. They think socialism works a lot better. Uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones, the, the, the architect of the 1619 Project, told Vox three years ago that she thinks the ideal biracial place where, where race relations work the best is Cuba, and she said that is because it's socialist. Yeah. So this is, this is why I call my book The Plot, because this is the plot to change our capitalist system, to change our representational democracy, our, our, our republic, to something that is never, was never meant to be. Yeah, which is uh, crazy because uh, one of the things that I think that uh, Donald Trump should have started this earlier, the 1776 Commission, uh, and and when he came up to reaffirm our, our foundings and our past, it's always okay to update history. We find out new things all the time. There's different ways right. to write it and research. Right. I understand it. But fundamentally, we got to agree that it's a good history, and we should all be on the same page, you would think. But, Mike— what happened? They disbanded this commission. They said it was just put together hodgepodge. Yeah, I don't know if you know this. I was one of the 17 commissioners. I was just speaking to another commissioner about less than an hour ago. You know, we're trying to, to meet again. Uh, this is very important work. We had historians on the commission. We had two heads of universities. Uh, we had academics, whereas the 1619 Project did not have any of that, and nobody ever chided it for it. Nobody ever criticized the 1619 Project for being just journalists and not historians uh, doing this. We did have academics, and, and what we produced, and I'm very proud of it, it was a report um, uh, called the 1776 Report, uh, which all it does is, in the words of Charles Kessler, it, 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 it is a rebaptism in the Constitution and the Declaration, and we also referred to other foundational documents such as the Bill of Rights, uh, the Northwest Ordinance, the Federalist Papers. You need to work with primary sources. You know this because you do this kind of work. We need to, we need to, to go to the nonpartisan facts of history, the nonpartisan documents, and then we can have a debate a well-intentioned, agenda-free debate, not meant to change the country into what it's never supposed to be, about what these documents mean, what these actions mean. But let's agree on facts. I think that would be beneficial. So what's your greatest concern from here on in? My greatest, I have several concerns. Look, Biden is my president. Kamala Harris is my vice president. I want them to do well. They are, they're going whole hog. They're going, you know, Full steroids on 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 critical race theory. This is this, they, they don't they don't even use the word equality. They use equity. And by the way, by the way, under them, equity means unequal treatment in order to obtain equal outcomes. That is not the American idea. That is the Marxist idea. But now it's being uh, practiced here by our administration to have unequal treatment under the law in order for to, to obtain equal outcomes as measured by groups, groups that are artificially created, identity groups. That is very concerning to me, Brian. 
especially if you look at the $1.9 trillion that we're doing. You're looking at the upgrading of the minimum wage. You look at the increasing uh, of, the, of the money on the uh, increasing money on taxes. It's coming down the pike now with the raising, which is about to happen, the corporate tax rate. You see them jamming things through. They have no interest in getting bipartisan support. If, tri- if Joe Biden does, he's being outvoted. Yeah, and that's a thing that he's trying to placate his left, actually. Chris Hayes had a, a very a piece in The Atlantic, I think yesterday, in which he said exactly that. He said, we used to get, before na- na- nationwide transformation, you know, we used to try to, to arrive at a national consensus. That is, that is no longer possible. People still vote for Trump. The national consensus is no longer possible. We need to ram through policies now. We need to ram through change on a partisan basis through reconciliation and then try to achieve a national consensus. This is not stable politics. This is regime politics. Another thing that concerns me, Brian, is that we're living under two constitutions. One is the 87 one, which, which preaches equal treatment under the law. We haven't always lived up to it, but it has, it has been an aspiration. And then we have this rival constitution now under which the progressives want us to live, which says, no, we're going to treat people unequally, even though it violates the constitution. What are you referring to? I'm referring to this, uh, what I said before, this equity, application okay. of equity, which is an equal application of the law in order to obtain equal, equal, uh, equal outcomes. So, Michael, if people listening right now feel your frustration, they see their kids come home and tell you how bad America is, and I have a lot of parents who listen to this show, what could they do? Because this is not mandated federally. This could be, this could be a local situation with your school boards. Is that the best way to fight back? Yeah, I mean, so we don't have one national curriculum, right? We have 14,000 boards of education. So it is at that level that Americans need to become engaged. You need to be aware of what your children are bringing home, what they're learning in history. You need to – and it's just hard work, right? Because you need to to say, hey, what did you learn today? Oh, let me look at that. Oh, look, it says Howard's in. Well, actually, it probably is a pack of lies. Um, And we need – you need to say no. America has had problems, but we have resolved them by looking, by aspiring to live by our ideals. All men are created equal. You need to go, parents need to go to meetings of the Board of Education. Parents need to question their, te- their children's teachers. They're very reluctant to do so. But they, that step needs to be taken and say, hey, why are you teaching my children the Black Lives Matter curriculum? You know, I, I, everybody agrees that Black Lives Matter. That's not the issue. The concept is, is un, unimpeachable. The problem is with the organizations, they're, they, they're, they're documentably Marxist. They don't like capitalism. They don't like Let's families. Let's talk about this. They're against the nuclear family. They said it's a bad model. And- so, so, right, and that is another problem with it. This approach does not work because the way you get out of poverty is through access to education, access to hard work, and having an intact family, right? All, all of the data shows this. These are the things they're against. They're against the intact family. They're against, they say, education, you know, uh, love of the written word, punctuality, and all these things are, are, are the result of whiteness. This is madness. This is not only going to not succeed, this is going to lead to failure. Uh, Michael, I hear your passion. Hopefully other people will pick up on what you laid out there um, and pick up your book. Mike Gonzalez, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Brian. Anytime. Right. And get a Republican president. They'll pick up the 1776 uh, manual commission uh, report and maybe put that back in school systems. 
but not with Joe Biden, not but not because I don't think he's really calling his own shots when it comes to this stuff. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. We come back. We'll open the phones one more time and find out if there's more to know. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. You know, I have a White House down in Key West. And it's very conveniently located for this occasion. Think about it. The first 19 months of Harry S. Truman's presidency were as taxing and challenging as any in our history, outside Abraham Lincoln. He had to finish off the Axis powers in World War II. Decide whether or not to drop an atomic bomb on Japan. All in his lap while replacing a historic figure like Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Under doctor's orders because of a lingering cold and exhaustion, he had to find a warm climate. Now, it was Admiral Chester Nimitz who recommended Key West, Florida, where we are right now. Truman loved it so much, it is now known as Harry S. Truman's Little White House. What is it about this place that allow him to work, yet decompress? And what about the decisions that were made here? Uh, that is a little of a brand new feature. It goes about 30 to 40 minutes. What made America great? I have a chance to look at different parts of American history, usually in America, and let people reaffirm in very specific ways, many ways which they didn't know before, judging by the feedback I get, about how special this place is uh, at these moments. And Harry Truman, this unlikely senator uh, who was living above uh, uh, above a store, I believe, in Washington, D.C., always was talking about how tight money was, gets picked by FDR to be his running mate, uh, and he gets reelected, and the vice president becomes president and has all this pressure on him, ends up trying to find a place in which he can unwind the Camp David of yesterday and picks out the Key West. He built it out. They made it his own. He even visited after he was president. I think you're going to love the fe- I think you're going to love the feature. Also, the Washington Monument, a tour you probably never thought you'd get, and some uh, special surprise you never thought you'd see. And then George Washington's spies. You know the George Washington's Secret Six that I've been studying for 20 years. We found out new information and put together the spy feature. At which time I talked about something nobody talks about, and the, it's the man who put it all together, Morton Pennypacker, this legendary local histori- uh, historian in New York, that was able to do a handwriting match and figure out in 1930. What was happening in 1778, 1782? Amazing, right? Uh, It's all there. I hope you like it. Just download Fox Nation, click on What Made America Great, and you'll see some new features. Uh, Meanwhile, I think it's important to point out we need to know more. More to know. All right. uh, Nikki Haley is calling on Joe Biden's executive order to be overturned on transgender athletics. He, she says, and I agree with her, it is not fair to women to play against guys. You want to be a transgender? No one's talking about that. It's just not fair. There's a reason why there's girls basketball, boys basketball, girls soccer, men's soccer, ladies soccer, men's soccer. That's why they're divided up. You ask Martina Navratilova. As good as it gets, you know, you should not be playing against transgender men. It is not fair. And you agree with that, Allison, don't you? 100% for, um, you know, everyone who wants to do more for women, this is not helping in any way. Next, uh, I love Holyfield. I can appreciate Mike Tyson. I know we're so hurting for big-time boxing sport athletes. Why not bring them back? That's exactly what's happening. To the tune of $100 million, Holyfield, Tyson, Three. 
there's been certainly a lot of talk about you guys having a third fight. Uh, you know, the Jones-Tyson fight, that exhibition they did was certainly successful and lucrative. Um, how much do you think, honestly, Evander, that a Holyfield Tyson three fight would generate? I think I think it's a lot of money, a lot of millions. And like, you know, I think hundred million. I'm like, it's I'm, the fight would be big because so many people want the fight. Wow. Uh, Zab Judah, who I interviewed, did a feature for a great uh, welterweight who went up a little bit towards the end. His great, great friends with Tyson, also from New York. And Judah said that Tyson, known for, uh, has hinted the fight will take place in the United Arab Emirates. And for both guys, I mean, Tyson lost everything, paid it all back, believe it or not. Paid, paid the IRS all their money back. And Holyfield made some bad investment. He's a good person, taken, taken advantage of by bad people. He could have been more vigilant, yes. He should not have gotten divorced four or five times. Probably helps. 13 kids, you, that's a lot of 529s. So he could use the money. One more shot, don't you think? Well, do you think $100 is a fair number? I don't know. If it's pay-per-view, if they both get in great shape. Uh, Tyson looked good. Roy Jones didn't. So I don't want to see an ex- exhibition. I want to see a real fight that matters. A little matter for their finances. Would you watch? <laughs> I won't, yes, but I know will. many people will. Oh, please. Major <laughs> League Baseball next. Major League Baseball and their union reach a deal for the 2021 season. Uh, it'll be without the universal DH. That, to me, is so discouraging. Who wants to see a pitcher in a windbreaker take swings? you got to be kidding me. Why did the they side- take them out? Well, they, they, what happens is they took out, uh, they put the DH in the American League years ago. The National League never went with it. And they rotate in the World Series depending on what park you're in. So now we see pitchers get at bat, and we see less hitters with jobs. I hate this idea. Spring training is scheduled to open up February 17th, and the sides reached an accord on a document with many similarities to last year's approach to the 60-game season, seven-inning doubleheaders, starting extra innings with a runner on uh, second base. Both were designed to shorten time at the ballpark. Joe Biden called up and said, why don't you start the season a little bit later and get more people in the stands? The players' union said, no, I don't think so. So they're going to have a 162, but they need people in the stands to make money. Hey, see ya. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.